I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cult Standard, your film podcast for all the cults fit to follow. I'm James. I'm Mike. Uh, thank you, James, for reminding me what our intro is after all this time, because I completely <laughs> forgot. Yes, yes. Um, we're finally going to be publishing this live after this one, because we wanted to wait till we had three episodes, so you know we're legit. But given like the holidays and then our mutual vacations, um, we hadn't recorded there's a big gap between episode two and three so you might hear me talk about like knives out and other things like that <laughs> a lot has happened uh, since then or halloween which was happening <laughs> at the time yes um yeah so lots of lots of fun things happen in the meantime the chiefly among them is our brave decision to wade into the cult of alita battle angel <sighs> A cult that apparently already exists. It does, and you know what? I was I was honestly a little skeptical when we first like floated this. Like, w- I I wanted to because it was like it was fun. You know, I knew this was gonna be some some dicey territory. But I was like, is this really? Does this really have like cult appeal? Does this really have a cult surrounding it? Yes. Um, I I searched my uh, my news app this just this morning, just kind of get a sense, dip a toe in the water of the hashtag discourse. <laughs> and uh, was flooded by stories about the apparently upcoming Alita sequel. So uh, it's, uh, it's it's still got quite a lot of buzz around it. And uh, it's someone, kind someone, of incredible. Sorry, someone uh, rented out a plane that, <laughs> that dragged only a sign that said Alita sequel on it. Oh, my God. Yes. It, Elon Musk is really getting crazy these days. <laughs> I and and like I mean for a movie that is not even a year old, it is I don't. Not. Bl- oh, I'm sorry. It, it it it's just past the year mark, so it is now barely a year old. And uh, happy birthday! Hey, it might not be very fun for you. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, uh, to to have built up this much of a. Uh, of a of a fan base is pretty uh pretty remarkable in it's and of itself impressive. So. yes um mm-hmm. before we before we move on let's do a, a longer winded introduction of both you and me and the podcast itself i am james he is mike we had previously ran a podcast called talking during the movie where it was just two guys reviewing movies and we did some like other segments and stuff and it was really cool and then we decided to get more specific and a little, you know, really focus on some stuff that we liked. And really, what we found out from talking to the movie is that our favorite thing was just discovering new movies that had already came out that we hadn't really seen before. Like I would, I would pitch one. Mike would watch it. Mike would pitch one. I would watch it. So we're like, how can we spin this to make it its own podcast? And thus, we came up with the cult standard. Now, we did not really care too much about sticking to the strict definition of a cult film um some people well one because it's controversial some people consider it you know only a certain amount like some some people consider cult film to be a genre in and of itself where we decided to draw the line was wherever there is a cult around a movie that is our definition of a cult movie 
Thus, we will talk about films like Alita Battle Angel, which why which while are in no way a cult film like you know it from like Rocky Horror Picture Show, does in fact have a ravenous horde of followers. And we're going to talk about them. I've, I've definitely thought this through in terms of uh, the ratio of um, passion within the fan bases to the size of the fan bases. And the larger that ratio is, i.e., the more passionate the fans are and this uh, and the smaller that that fan base is, <laughs> the more likely it is, I think, to be covered on this show. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to have fun with it. We already have a, a long list that we're going to be working through. And we decided to go with some some alt-right appeal, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think this is technically was my turn to put a this movie was. forward. So, so I guess this will count as mine because I think I, I was like, yes, I want to do this. You convinced but, me you know, that it was worth it, but yes. Yes, but you are the one that brought this whole... Um, right-wing kerfuffle to my attention in the first place so oh yeah i forgot you didn't even know that existed when i when you put it forward i had no idea i just thought that this was like a weird robert rodriguez movie that like i just saw robert rodriguez and james cameron's name all over this in like the marketing didn't really pay it too much mind other than like oh those two are working together that's interesting and then completely forgot about it until you mentioned it several months after it had been in theaters and uh, told me uh, about this entire conversation that has cropped up in relation to the movie and comparing it to Wonder Woman, I guess? No, Captain Marvel. Um, Captain Marvel. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah so... Which I guess more sense because they both came out around the same time? Yes, they came out around the same time. So here's... Near as I can figure, I don't know where it started, um, but it definitely blew up when uh, one beloved man who everyone you know just loves, no one has a problem with at all, Ben Shapiro, decided that he was uh, going to post on his social media the kind of uh, response to people saying that oh, you know, people who people are attacking Captain Marvel just because they don't like women. And so he was like, no, let's show them that we love women. Let's watch Alita Battle Angel, essentially, Mm. essentially. So Mm. there, and I'm not going to make generalizations about the fan base of Alita Battle Angel. So, so fear not if you're here because you love Alita, then we were going to give you your due time. But there, there is at least some portion of the Alita cult who just is always defining it in relation to Captain Marvel and how much better it is because of that whole Ben Shapiro shit. So that's for the pool we're swimming in today, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the cult standard. That is also, I will commit to this, the last time we will bring up Ben Shapiro in this this entire episode because... (laughs) Just this episode. I I, I make no promises for the future, but, but we'll stop for now. So, Alita Battle Angel is a cyberpunk movie based on manga artist Yukito Kishihiro's... I just read that off the Wikipedia page. I have had no idea the source material of this movie, and I'm not sure I'm alone in that one. I think it's. I think it was pretty obscure. I mean, you want to get into a cult following, um, I, I would probably say that the manga for the, that this is based on is probably <laughs> a real human cult following. 
that is probably less of a political mob and more of just manga enthusiasts. And and that's um, really like amazing. To me, it speaks to the power of James Cameron because he, only James Cameron, and I and I will stand behind this. Only James Cameron can get a one hundred and seventy million dollar movie greenlit about a, an obscure manga. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah 170 million dollars it's yeah until you mentioned that number i actually had no idea how much this movie cost but that that does make sense just given the sheer amount of obvious computer generated augmentation that went into this movie and you can see it in every frame it's all over the place this is largely great like i'm gonna say they actually I do agree with that. Um, particularly the um, the way that they're photographed, I think, makes them really distinctive. And even when they're not going for photorealism, or I guess even when they don't hit photorealism, um, they, they evoke a very unique and vivid art style that I, I think works. You could you can tell that this is based on a manga without ever even knowing specifically what IP it comes from. Um, and, I, and that's a and that's a pro for me. I, I think that that makes it stand out at least visually in kind of a, a world of samey looking action films. Oh no, it's kind of a treat. It's definitely a treat to look at. I, uh, I I've much very favorably compare it to a film like Ready Player One, which just looks like yeah, sh- colorful shit on the screen. Hop together CGI pseudo post-apocalyptic garbage you know yeah like this is this is what that should have been i've actually heard like some pretty convincing arguments that uh ready player one should be considered like the worst movie of the of the decade just partially because of what it represents which is just like completely unfiltered uh cold and cynical capitalism and the idea that that's the victory condition Oh, that consuming and living in the past are going to save you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here we arrive at the the plot structure, the obvious plot structure of Lead a Battle Angel. I don't want to say that a theme of this movie is is class struggle because it's not. It's just the setting. Um, it's not. A, it's not I- a theme because it's not really explored with any with any more depth than just. There is this place in the sky called Salem, and everyone there lives like kings. And then there's this place down, down on the earth where they just dump their garbage on. And that's what happens, and people, I guess, try to get there. And then uh-huh. that's, that's, where, that's where this like, metaphor ends. So. Oh, oh and, and if you want a sense of the subtlety of the uh, symbolism going on here, the, the prelapsary that caused this horrendous future is literally called the fall the (laughs) um, the ground city that they live in is called iron city Uh and uh the the uh uh the the uh police force the pseudo police force that that are essentially function as bounty hunters are called hunter warriors hunter warriors so you know Run by the we're factory. In a, we're we're in for a lot of 
deft hand and subtlety here. So um, I, I, I want to say I want to say one thing because this has to be some of the most clunky world building you could possibly do. Very frequent exposition dumps that happen just over and over again of like you know those are the sand people type of level just like constantly. The world that's built, I dig it. You know, you know I what? Get to pretty cool yeah it's like when yeah. when the world when the movie just let us like kind of like exist in this society i had a good time with it you know um <laughs> whether or not they had to tell me everything about it verbally uh, yeah not great. No, I, I i dug it too i completely agree um it's it's a neat playground to explore um and i think at the very least the beginning of the film um, kind of makes good on that when I mean Alita is obviously very much our POV character she's yes has no memory of who she is or what the world looks like at one point the character Hugo her her love interest that in the first scene that they meet she asks what a what is it the the giant police robots that I can't even remember the name of at this point we literally um, just watched oh, this movie <laughs> They're, and I don't remember berserkers. it either. She asks what a berserker is. or No, no, oh, no berserker's the name of her body. Uh, okay, whatever. The big robot things. She asks what Royer. they are. And goes, what, what planet are you even from? And like that is, all, on the one hand, an in-story like foreshadowing, but also kind of an on-the-nose reference to her being the fish-out-of-water POV character that the audience can glean all the information they need to uh, from. Yeah, and, I think uh, there there really is a temptation in when you're writing sci-fi or fantasy to have this sort of audience surrogate character, but more and more we've seen that you really don't need one. People are usually yeah. pretty smart, you know. I I loved it, of course. I don't and I don't mean to just say if you don't meet this level, then you're not a good movie. Um, because but like Mad Max Fury Road did that really well, where. You didn't really have an audience surrogate. You kind of had Max, but he was just sort of in this world. No one was telling him what was going on. You just sort of figured it out, and you you rolled with it, and it worked really well. So I I, I would love to see like more fantasy and and sci-fi screenwriters really just take that character out and see if it's any worse or better better off. And it, it's probably better. But I, I think I think speculative fiction has become a lot more prominent in film and TV over the last like decade or so, um, to the point where I think a lot more is palatable to an audience now without overt explanation than even just like in the earlier 2010s. And I, I think that uh, I, I think filmmakers, a lot of them at least, are are kind of understand that they can get away with being a little bit less on the nose and I, I i i don't include alita battle angel in that assessment but i am kind of hoping that you know that becomes increasingly prominent because it's 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 cool to feel like the people making your entertainment respect you enough to let you connect at least a few pieces yourself um there's a i just found a quote from I, it was attributed to billy wilder but it might not actually be from him but it was something like if you add if you let the audience add to and to themselves they'll love you forever <laughs> yeah. and uh it's a good principle to live by i kind of wish that um i kind of wish this film abided more by that and all just to to be completely upfront, 
I put most the onus of, of my problems of this movie, most of them on the screenplay and namely the particularly James Cameron elements of the screenplay. Um, I think, I think that dragged what could have been a really unique genre bending movie. Uh, I think it held that back a lot and kind of, kind of bummed by it. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just, I think all of my complaints are going to be about the screenplay. One thing I do want to mention, just very quickly, all right, because Captain Marvel existed, this is movie has been pitted against it by the more unsavory parts of the internet, whether or not they're actually fans of this movie or just trolls, who knows. Um, if, if you legitimately feel that... Uh, it's okay that Alita is just like super powerful because she's this, you know, uh, what does it called it like Mars Marsian, you know, yeah, super warrior. Called a berserker, right? That berserker. was what she was. That's what she was, yeah. and it was from the United Mars Federation or something like that. Yeah, uh, some. No, you're not wrong. That's. Uh, I mean, it's well. I don't know what is it. They abbreviate it. Yeah, Most like UMF or UFM or I don't know. In any case, yeah. if if you think it's okay that sh- that she's just randomly super powerful because she's a you know a berserker from Mars, and you call bullshit on Captain Marvel being powerful because she's fused with a goddamn Infinity Stone, you're wrong. I just you're wrong. That's just it. it doesn't get any simpler than that. You are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> not conflate those two like i have no problem with either of them i want to spell that out i'm not saying oh mary sue oh she's just she shouldn't be so powerful everything's given to her like you have this person who like throws down who comes down in this um in this new world and is like immediately with with not even like an advanced like body in this in in universe her first mm-hmm. body she gets is not an advanced like fighting thing and yet she takes on an entire bar full of like deadly bounty hunters and is fine. If you think yeah. that's okay, but you think being fused with an infinity stone isn't enough to give to give to make someone uh, give someone a good reason to be powerful, you're wrong. I, it started off. I, I thought it was already kind of ridiculous when she plays. Uh, is it mo- motorball? Is the sport that they yes, play? Motorball. Mm-hmm. Um, when she uh, is playing street motorball, which also was my favorite Ow. scene of the entire movie. Uh, is that your cat? <laughs> no, I was just saying ow to street motorball. <laughs> oh, street motorball, yeah. Um, it was a good was, scene, but man, that looks dangerous, all right? <laughs> super dangerous. Um, it, it, that was my favorite scene of motorball in the movie, though, because it felt the, like it's the one that you could actually kind of get a sense of how it feels the most. It's the least like a computer game. Um, but... I thought it was going too far when she was apparently already a pro at it after like two, like two laps attempts at scoring. And then she makes the third one and it's like, suddenly she's unbeatable. Um, I thought that was a, a little bit too fast for the progression. Hold, I, I hadn't seen anything yet. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, I, again, I'm I'm fine with like just simple explanations that I can just digest and accept and be like, oh, okay, yeah, she's a super warrior and still has that in mind. Yeah, fine. Yeah, I was I was fine with like them bringing Palpatine back in Rise of Skywalker without without explanation, just because I don't know he's a space wizard. Deal with it. That, uh, that's fine with yeah. me. 
you gave me something there. Yeah, right. Um, but to, to to further your points about the uh, the uh, double standard comparison between Captain Marvel and Alita, um, I, I hate to say it, I think there is an even like sort of grosser subtext to it. And um, I, I think part of what maybe makes that crowd more accepting of this character is the level of infantilization that mm. goes into the way she's portrayed. Um, and honestly, I think that is one of the more like on the nose gross things in the movie. Um, not just the fact that, you know, it, it plays in from the very beginning to the, um, the you know, the infantilized trope it, that actually pops up a lot in science fiction of like women who wake up, can't remember who they are and, and, or have like sort of an underdeveloped sense of um, like social skills and, and don't like kind of act. um, I mean, they basically act like children, but in older bodies. Um, And that it, it begins with that. And then it takes it to an even grosser place where she will get a new body that actually like is older and grows breasts and like is feels less creepy to be attracted to and that felt really weird to me the fact that they actually make that an explicit part of the narrative um and i can't help but think that has something to do with people particular people being more accepting of this ultra strong woman in a movie <laughs> than Captain Marvel. There, there is also the know. the elephant in the room that this ultra strong female character has a, kind of an audience surrogate male who has at some points a direct hand in her her success and at other points is just the object of what seems like completely unearned affection this movie is is over two hours long and at the end of it she's like oh i love you and i'm i literally shouted at the screen i'm like why why what has he done um actually Uh, kelsey had a similar reaction well she was like in and out of it but when that scene came up she was equally she was just like expressed her frustration in how characters in movies will will have this kind of culminating romantic moment that feels completely unearned and 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 i agree it was particularly egregious in this one like i felt no emotional connection between them at all other than he was there at the beginning and was her sort of introduction into motorball and um that's enough, I guess. I don't know. Like, she, I'm I'm okay with the uh, initial sort of affection. It seemed to make sense to me of she of her being in this world for the first time and being instantly enamored with everything that's cool, you know, or yeah. everything she sees almost that that isn't trying to kill her. Like, makes a little bit of sense, but that's kind of where it should stop until there's further development, and it mm-hmm. just didn't. It just like. 
she just kept, you know, having this very strong affection for it. The most jarring of which was this point where she, where he says, oh, I only need about 90,000 to get into Zalem, you know, the the promised land. And she literally pulls her heart out and is like, sell this. I can get a replacement part. And I'm like, what on earth did he do to earn this yeah. level of yeah, let's just let's just do this and run away and start again together. What in the world? And yes, I do think that plays into the emotions of certain people who are okay with this brand of strong strong female characters as opposed to like Captain Marvel, who like there she's very strong but also ultra vulnerable and very willing to open herself up. Yes, especially to you know romantic love interests, something that like. Captain yeah. Marvel didn't have it all. Like no. the closest male relationship he had was with Nick Fury. <laughs> and the one that, you know, was there the whole time, like she one tosses away and just rejects the whole, you know, her ending thing of saying, I have nothing to prove to you. She like rejects that confrontation because right. she doesn't owe it to him. He hasn't earned it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, that one's a lot more confrontational than this. And I think that makes it more acceptable by, you know, the, the people who shall not be named (laughs) his followers. (laughs) Um, I also think you make a very good point. And I I think that also kind of alludes to what I view as a fundamental lack of an arc for Alita in this movie. Um, because the only difference between Alita at the beginning and Alita at the end is that she's got a stronger cyber body and that that's it. Um, I, it, there's nothing like I, that moment where she takes her heart out. Um, you know, I could see that actually being the start of a pretty interesting arc for her where maybe over the course of the movie, she learns not to open herself up so much to people who could very well be predatory and to um, maybe take more solace in her own autonomy. Like that would be. And the, the seeds of that, that are there. The seeds of that are there. The because seeds of her, that are there. But she, even during that scene, he says to her, you shouldn't do things for people, right? Like whether or not that's something that she needs to take to heart or something that she needs to reject, like you can go either way with it, but you should go one of those ways. You should go a way with that. If that's supposed to be your in script, you know, moment to say, okay, this is a, this is a point of, this is a character point, figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like when you mentioned at the beginning that, um, you know, the divide between the, between classes isn't really a theme in this movie. I'll say this much. It is about as close to a theme as anything else is in the movie. Because <laughs> while it is not really explored, uh, neither are any of the other things I could maybe throw out as potential seeds of a theme. Um, because at the end of the day, it's really just used as, like you said, a backdrop, uh, a setting to have like fun cyber future battles, which <laughs> like that's all right, fine, but what is that worthy of a unique cult following? It seems like the one that's emerged around this movie is completely reactionary. And I mean that in every sense of the word, um, (laughs) there's like, it's not unique enough, at least to me to warrant 
anything that would be called a cult following. Cult kind of implies something that, for better or worse, um, transgresses the norm. And to me, this just kind of, kind of plays into it in a, a way that's extra tragic because the origins of this story and um, a, a certain ways that it is depicted on screen are so unique and beautiful and could have made a more unique piece of art. Um, and Rosa Salazar and, is also doing great in this. Like she's, this is bad material and yeah, she's yeah. killing it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think it's something where she goes about as far with this script as she can. Um, but I don't, I don't think they wrote her a character. Well, really no, they don't. didn't. She's a, actually a very, she's a kind of a classic example of a passive protagonist where things sort of just yeah. like happen to her and she reacts to them. But when you look at, when you look at the movie as a whole, there isn't a character arc where there is something that she has to grow out of or grow beyond or change. So she's not really a character going through growth. But, you know, I've often said there's two ways to do a protagonist, which is to do that sort of character arc, you know, the classic thing where you write some, a flaw in the part in the early part of the script that is then addressed or overcome in the, by the end. Or you just have the character accomplish a goal. Sometimes you can do both at the same time. Sometimes you can do both with two characters. There's a lot of flexibilities here. But I don't know. Like, all Alita is doing in this movie is trying not to die. Mm-hmm. Like and, and then uh, like there's some kind of a side quest where she is like okay I need to maybe try to get my boyfriend me and my boyfriend into Salem, and then that's dropped very quickly. Yeah, it was like even then, aside from that one brief period in the story where that is what she wants. I mean, taking a screen, like, taking the conflict in the story down to its simplest question: What does she want? She wants to play motorball. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what she wants. That's what and I want to see too. You know what? I just want to see some motorball. And by and large, I was, I was denied that time I, and time I, again throughout the movie. To, at a certain point, I thought this was just going to end up being like a different version of Real Steel. Yeah, but right. But this is it's the motorball arc is like the most frustrating part because it's set up early on with that really good scene it's reinforced and it never pays off <laughs> never the movie ends before she's about to start the dang rollerball match motorball match you know look i i messaged you this uh i messaged mike this before oh, yeah. we did the review that i've never been never felt so blatantly denied a climax since like jurassic park 3 when there's about to be this big like dinosaur thing where they're gonna have to run away and blah 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 and then the military shows up and just just drives them away like that's that's what <laughs> happened in that movie uh of the amazing spider-man 2 when at the very <laughs> end he's about to actually fight the rhino and he looks like the rhino now and it's really tense and he he's like just in this really traumatic thing just happened and he's been in a funk and this is how he's gonna you know he's finally motivating himself to get out of it and uh actually it really does mirror the whole like what that character is going through really mirrors alita (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's totally gonna happen it's gonna be great and then it cuts to crap (laughs) and then i'm like oh man so here's my here's my here's my take overall 
Uh, not that I'm totally ready to to stop talking about this movie because there's some more I want to want to harp on or praise. Uh-huh. But there's all this talk of you know get us the Alita sequel, Alita sequel. It's a hashtag. It's it's a plain banner now, um, and it's looking like that probably might not happen because it was a 170 million dollar movie that made 404 million at the box office. So it's like just over double which probably didn't means it didn't eclipse its eclipse its marketing budget and even if it yeah. did was it really that profitable and i hate to look at like movies in this sort of like raw terms you know brass tacks but that's what studios who who greenlight movies and sequels do especially if you're transcending 100 million dollars in your budget like, yeah so but ignoring that uh, elite battle angel does need a sequel and that's the worst part yeah. of it like yeah. it, it this is a movie that necessitates a sequel because nothing is complete or resolved by the end of it no, the few things that they did introduce as obstacles or you know potential points of success were not achieved this movie needs a sequel and that's why it's not good the script anyway <laughs> I don't think a movie has ever needed a sequel more than the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, God. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Why, Mike? I don't know. I, uh, I feel like I've said my piece on this, and now my only source of joy from it is, like, comparing it to other movies that I don't like. Like, I was going to, like, hell, you know what would what would have made that first motorball scene really great? Is uh, if instead of that we got her juggling the motorball between her hands like Halle Berry and Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> not, some, not some like Back to the Future 2 stuff where he takes a hoverboard, you know, and they're like, hoverboards don't work over water. <laughs> that could be cool. <laughs> yeah. So Mahershala Ali is in this movie. Did you know that? Yeah, I kind of forgot. Yeah, he's Vector. <laughs> he's, a, he's kind of like the... The Grande Fromage at the factory, as I until understand he, it. He's, he's the main bad until he isn't. And then he just isn't. Here's my favorite. My, I actually like laughed at this a lot because there's a point where, where Nova, who is this mysterious figure, the leader of, the, of Zalem, um, mm-hmm. who's been sort of like pulling the strings, he says, okay, you, you Mahershala Ali, and your cronies need to bring me... Um, the heart of Alita and their, her new super suit. And he says, oh, he says, you know, and I'm, I'm sending generic big, big boss, you know, to, mm-hmm. to do the job. And Mahershala Ali is like, I'm not trusting success to a piece of iron. His plan is to trust it with several pieces of iron. <laughs> like, that's, when I realized that, I was really, I really started cracking up because his idea is, okay, Look, if big guy doesn't succeed, Nova's going to blame me, so I have to take matters in my own hands. And I don't really like that plan because he just, you know, is sending this piece of iron, this, you know, this metal cyborg man to do the job. So his plan is to get her to a motorball. And don't worry, they're not going to play motorball. (laughs) To get her to a motorball match where he has packed it with other contestants who are actually assassins and criminals who are going to kill her. So, again, his plan was several pieces of iron. One-upped him. Also, I mean, I guess this is a bad time to mention that that totally rips off a scene from Michael Scott's 
in-universe movie threat level midnight from the office what there's a scene this is a deep cut but i couldn't help but thinking of it there's a scene in michael scott's movie threat level midnight from an episode of the office called threat level midnight where um his main character michael scarn is in a life or death um it's it's not even a sport i guess it's just like a race on ice skates that's it's not like hockey or anything they're just racing i guess and uh the the guy's about to kick it off and he's just like got your mark get set and then before he says anything the third contestant whose face has been obscured reveals that he's the arch enemy and he's just right die and then they skate along and he keeps firing at him and not only does he evade all the bullets but he wins the race uh-huh. And, I mean But Alita it, didn't it, win the race. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well yeah. Well, they, they, they exited the race stage right, and I'm not describing a metaphor here. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So I guess in that sense Threat Level Midnight is a better movie than Alita Bat. <laughs> no, I mean it, it's it's there's some things that are fun to like poke fun at in this movie and I and I don't wanna say I hated it by any means. It does feel like a missed opportunity of $170 million proportions that yeah. I would have loved to see explored with a little bit better of a screenwriting plan. You know, I, I think what it is when, when we approach a movie with a cult following um, or, or even a movie that we think deserves a cult following, something that it, we're, we're analyzing in the context of like eclectic taste, right? I, I open myself up a little bit in terms of what I'm willing to accept. I, Absolutely. I, I kind of, I'm ready to see something that I haven't experienced before. And whether I, I respond well to it or not, I, I, I want to have something that kind of broadens my own horizons of, of what I've seen in a movie or, or in art. And, uh, you know, good or bad, it doesn't matter. And in this case, I think I was just greeted by something that was so milk toast like it, it it didn't deserve in my view what we would call a cult following and i'm kind of i guess annoyed by that especially given at least uh, uh, from what it appears to me and you how this cult got started in the first place um it just seems really bad spirited to me yeah, what, one more thing. One more thing about the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of Alita Battle Angel of, you know, what yeah. went on, what happened. Um, what a really, really dumb, 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 dumb reveal at the end. Of, of who Nova is. Because Nova is played by Edward Norton. That is the, that is the yeah. twist, ladies and gentlemen. Something that means absolutely nothing to any character in the movie because Edward Norton does not exist. Apparently, it was big enough that he takes off his glasses and reveals that he is Edward Norton. Okay. Wow, amazing! Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for also for for making me realize I'm not crazy because I'm like they're shooting this. Okay, because it, it was almost gaslighting me for a second. I'm like, wait, am I nuts or are they shooting this like a reveal? They, no, they like, shot it like a reveal. Yes, like. 
this is someone important but the only reveal is hey look it's 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 edward it's edward norton look at that this whole time <laughs> yeah i mean like, what? Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah he's in movies sometimes like that can that can happen i think well i want to say a really good example of that is in the force awakens when kylo ren takes off its helmet and you just see that it's a guy but that's actually yeah, a really yeah. important character moment for him where you see it that he doesn't need this mask like right. Darth Vader did. It's a put-on. It's something that yeah. is representing of what he wants to become. Like, that is significant. This is Edward Norton. <laughs> I, that's it. That's, <laughs> yeah, he, he's an actor. He's, <laughs> yeah, he plays characters. Like, I don't... Time, what, is, the, is the surprise that they got him to agree to do this one? Because, like... Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, I can't. I can say something nice, um, and that is, I genuinely think. Uh, I mean, big, big shocker, but I, I do think that Christoph Waltz is uh, is pretty great. Um, he, even in a way, I, I think he kind of does transcend the script. That, or or they just kind of wrote better dialogue for him, or a better character for him, because I did genuinely really love the scenes between him and Alita. Um, Oh yeah, hands down the second best part of the movie. Besides all those times that they teased that they were going to play motorball, a really awesome motorball fight, yeah. Um, but just like you could tell that he's kind of wrestling with a lot of emotions even before you entirely know the backstory. Like this, this person is like now wearing the body that he was making for his daughter, and that's like he's he's both happy to be able to kind of give this new cyborg a new life um and also is kind of tortured by thoughts of his daughter and it's played like i mean we get the whole story but in terms of like the storytelling done by his performance i think it's really subtle and not at all ham-fisted and, and i think it was kind of one of the more deft touches that the that that any of the actors gives the movie and I, I really really appreciate that um probably more testament to how great of an actor christoph waltz is than anything else but uh but I, I did really enjoy pretty much any part of the movie that had him in it. Um, unfortunately, that was kind of um, abated a lot by the end. He he kind of he, he's less and less a prominent factor uh, as the film goes on, um, and I think that's unfortunate. It's 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 weird because it showed that they can build up relationships. Yeah, and that to me like frustrates me because they didn't do it with Alita and Hugo, like. What it's like, it's like whenever the relationship is more conventional. Like I think it's fair to say that the doctor and um, and Alita have a very unconventional relationship. It's it's not something that it's kind of father daughter, but it's also kind of like scientist creation and kind of like it, it combines a couple of different. Yeah, it, it combines a couple of different tropes that make it unique, and they're actually able to write some unique interactions within that framework. Um, but between her and Hugo, it's just a romance. And I think because of that, they don't do anything unique with it. It just very much like, you know, stereotypical romance novel type dialogue. And uh, it's, and that's a shame. I, I think it's just because it's a more familiar relationship. Um, it, 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 we get more bland dialogue, I guess. Yeah, this is one of those where, like, I'm probably 
Where it's like, I showed up to the inaugural cult meeting, and while everyone wasn't looking, I dumped my Kool-Aid out and just carried on the casual conversation. I'm staying away from this one. I stole a couple of the Oreos on my way out, but yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> Ooh, Oreos. Those are the poison, you idiot. You're going to wake up tomorrow and just love this movie. <laughs> Fuck. They, they, knew, they knew where to get me. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's not in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's not particularly deserving of like vitriol more than any other kind of standard action blockbuster. But I, I think what, what kills me is just that this is being given that sort of extra level of attention. Um, but again, I, I do, I am kind of hoping against hope for that sequel because, who knows maybe now that this world and the characters are kind of established they can maybe work their way towards narrative cohesion i, I don't know but i i hope so i agree with is- you i actually do see potential with a sequel like beyond my joke that you know i'm mad that this movie needs one but yeah. it seems like it's gotten its throat clearing out of the way is 2 hours of someone <clears throat> Mm-hmm. That was that, it, and it looked it looked great, it looked awesome, yeah. on point. Well, yeah. um, it's just too good of a world to like end it here, you know. Yeah. It's, it's now they can sing. Ah, ah, Alita. <laughs> that was my that was my song. They can you guys can hire me for the sequel if you want. If you're listening, 20th Century Fox, who recently changed to just 20th just Century Films. 20th century. And if they were changing the name, why didn't they make it 21st century? I don't know. Oh, my God. Savior of the universe. <laughs> Just reuse that one. Just put Alita over over Flash. <laughs> yeah, so this is, uh, out of three, this is the first one that we've not yeah. decided to join. The first cult. Yeah. yeah, and you are right that I will probably, I'll probably remember this movie, but because of the reaction around it, not for the movie itself... Right. I think of like uh, uh, this is odd for me. Like the kitchen, I would have forgotten about the kitchen in a week, but now I remember it because everybody <laughs> hates it, and I'm like, why? Like, what possible reason? Yeah, yeah. I'm. It's honestly, um, I have not seen Birds of Prey yet, uh, but I yes. kind of imagine. I kind of imagine that that I'll have a similar reaction to that where. I'll more than anything remember it for the instantly butthurt fans who are mad that Harley Quinn isn't sexy enough for them. <laughs> because check notes, Margot Robbie wasn't sexy. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you think Mar- Margot Robbie is attractive, you're gay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there were some like I'm. I, I do not. I am not one for enforcing beauty standards. I will say yeah. it is ironic to see people on Twitter who do not meet traditional beauty standards then try to enforce those beauty standards. That's all I will say about that because, again, I don't enforce those. Why are you is my question. <laughs> Anyways. You mean to tell me it's not all like beefcakes and he-men behind the, behind the keyboards on those angry tweets, James? Uh, it is not. It is not oh. beefcakes and he-men. Oh, they probably have, you know, one singular ad between them, which is equal to the amount of ads I have. So don't 
Don't think I'm. Uh, this isn't a pot calling the kettle black situation. I know where we both stand on this totem pole. I'm not fat and big boned. Anyway, elite battle angel is lackluster. Um, anyway, I, next... I actually really liked uh, Birds of Prey. You should all watch it. It was great. Yeah. So, yeah, can't they can't all be winners, I guess. But um, I, it, we're back in the swing now. We're you know we're we're getting. We're we're getting going. We finally have three episodes. Um, our voices might sound a little bit more gravelly, and help us episodes two and three. But you know, now uh, there is w- next week. The next yeah. time we do this, which would probably which would hope to be two weeks actually. Yeah, yeah. We want to do. It's mine. I'm gonna it's put yours. forth a movie that. Uh, I would be surprised if anyone listening has heard of it, but maybe not. It actually did have some syndication on Disney Channel. It is called Step Monster. Oh my god, this is right. <laughs> oh, you told me about this. I yes. can't find out found find out anything about it looking it up. It's hard to find out a lot about it looking it up. Yes, it does have a wiki page, and that's about it. And then it has a, a, more than a few articles about how it's actually pretty good. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah that's sort of the basis of of my calling it a cult film um it's thin and i don't even i've seen it i I saw it as a child and i remember enjoying it but i remember enjoying a lot of bad movies when i was a child so i have no idea what to expect from this one but i just saw someone say you know what this this roger corman guy he's pretty cool and he did this movie called uh called step monster which is also pretty cool and i'm like oh okay if you want to watch alongside us, uh, good luck. I think the I think the only way, thing we were able to find was the movie in two parts on Vimeo in reverse, so that you know the the image is flipped. Um, yep, that's that's Which kind of the only way to do it. I was gonna say like that's still probably gonna be the version I see. So yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll try and keep in mind that uh, screen direction is not respected. And uh, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, do you remember we always, what we always say on uh, the cold standard? Uh, f- uh, fuck the haters. <laughs> no, I don't. I think we landed on don't drink the Kool Aid. I don't know. Don't drink the Kool Aid. Okay. Um, but sometimes don't drink we the do drink the Kool Aid unless right? you want to. We drink the Kool-Aid sometimes. Like everyone's got to drink a little Kool-Aid. Yeah. Um, stay cool. How, <laughs> how about Zep rules? Does that does that make sense? What, what was that? Um, rules. Ze- Zeppelin. Zeppelin rules. Like the, the no, I'm just joking. It's a joke. Um, don't don't. We're not gonna do that. Um, <laughs> man. Leave this in. This is this is the creative process at work. Um, uh, hail Satan! <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> just, just be a mother to him, Rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, bye, everyone. We'll figure this uh, out yeah, on another man. episode. We'll have a real one next time. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Goodbye.